Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you and enjoy. No, it's nice to be here. And so just a little background on who I am. If maybe you're looking at me like, you know, what people often do is they'll look at me and they'll say, Mm, and then I'll say something like, oh, I know that voice. So, and, they'll say, and they say, wow, you got old. And I said, we all got old, right? And, yeah, people will say whatever they want to say to a priest. So, so uh, I was ordained in 2006, and this was my first assignment. So when I first came here, it was me and Father Walt and Father Sal. And then a year after, year and a half after I was here, Father Sal then got a parish in Euclid, and then it was just me and Father Walt for the rest of my time here. My first uh, probably year and a half, maybe almost two years, we went back and forth between here and St. Catharines. So uh, I tell people all the time, I said, you know, it was, the great, it was a great training ground for me because I not only experienced kind of, you know, an urban parish like St. Ca- uh, Catharines, I experienced this large suburban parish, uh, so I really experienced a lot. And then I was dragged to Honduras three times, and, <laughs> which really, you know, I told Father Walt when I first went to my parish, I said, you know, not that I feel like I'm in a developing country, but Honduras really helped prepare me a little bit for Cleveland. So <laughs> I don't mean it to sound like that. I really don't, because I love Cleveland and I'm happy there. But yeah, it did. It, it kind of helped prepare me for that a little bit. So, so I was here for about three and a half years, almost four years. And then in April of 2010, then I was named the pastor of Mary Queen of Peace, which is the merged parish of Our Lady of Good Counsel and um, Corpus Christi. Thank you. Corpus Christi down the street from me. And so we came together and it was, you know, I, I think if I'm a later vocation, I was ordained at the age of 40. So I was about, you know, 44 then. I don't know, I think maybe if I had more years under my belt as a priest, I would never have gone to a merged parish because it was, it was nutty. And so I've been there 12 years. I just was renewed for another uh, six years. This wasn't, I don't know, gosh, I could talk about a million things. Uh, this isn't, ex- it wasn't exactly what I had thought I would be there. I, would, I didn't think I'd be there 18 years. And, and at this point... I look at the future and I say, well, I'm 56 now, another six years, I'll be 62. Do I really want to go to another parish when I'm 62 and start over? So then you start thinking, am I really going to be at Mary Queen of Peace till I retire at 75? So it's all up to you, God. It really is. It's all up to God. I don't know what will happen. I've been very happy with, with a little bit of the partnership that's developed between Mary Queen of Peace and St. Basil's. So I still have a lot of friends here. A lot of you came up to me tonight. and It was nice to see uh, familiar faces. We have a group that we offer called Love Your Neighbor. If you're a part of it, that's great. And thank you for that. If you're not a part of it, see Robin Young's. Robin, raise your hand wherever you are. Okay, Robin, so raise it again. Hi, hi, because there it is, both hands. Okay, so Robin kind of runs Love Your Neighbor and what this is a group. So like when I um, need help with stuff, I put it out on Love Your Neighbor and then people show up. It's like, it's the best thing in the world. So I appreciate that very much. And people have been very good to my parish uh, we are a city parish, and we do the best we can, and sometimes you got to know when to ask for help, and so love your neighbor is it. So please sign up for uh, that if you can. And it's just a, a e- just get emails. That's all it is at this point. So, Okay. Introduction. Who am I? Um, 
My interest is so the topic tonight is spiritual warfare, okay? And so this is um, an interesting topic and probably has gotten a lot of, of uh, spotlight over the last several years as people realize that, you know, when we look around at this world, there has to be, you know, there, there is unexplainable evil, right? There is evil that, that just seems to have no explanation to it. And so people always say, why would God allow that? And, and, and we believe that God is a powerful God. He could stop anything. He could stop anything if he wanted to, but he chooses to allow those things to happen. He permits them to happen. I don't know why that is, but we could all probably agree on the fact that there seems to be a lot of evil in the world. So, I mean, school shooting, Sandy Hook, I mean, uh, Uvalde, Texas, I mean, all those just awful, awful things. No explanation for that. So, uh, I um, really, to be really qualified to talk about spiritual warfare, I should probably be a, an official exorcist of the Catholic Church. I am not. So I can't do the rite of exorcism. I'm not allowed to do that. Uh, and, and I don't know that I would want to because uh, it's a, a tough thing to do. But I do have a great interest in this topic of spiritual warfare. I think it's a fascinating topic. I do offer a caveat that, you know, you may not like some of the things I say. You may say, I don't agree with that. And you're, you're free to disagree with it. That's fine. I'm just giving you the information as I know it, okay? Most cases, don't shoot the messenger, all right? Uh, I think that, you know, um, again, there are some things that are controversial about spiritual warfare. So, anyway, let's go. Uh, my source material. My, the primary, my primary source material, I'm going to show you a couple things here. Hold on. Uh, this, book is really, this book is really my primary source material. This is a book called Dominion, and it's by Father Chad Ripperger, and it's outstanding. It is comprehensive. It's not a novel. It's not even easy reading. It's a reference book in many ways. And so for this talk tonight, this was primarily my... Uh, my guide. So I'm going to just set that right there. So Father Chad Ripperger, he's 58 years old, two years older than me. He was ordained to the priesthood in June 1997. He was first ordained to a religious order that celebrates the traditional Latin Mass exclusively. Uh, that's the Fraternity of St. Peter. Uh, they are authorized to do so, but in 2016, Father Ripperger left the priestly fraternity of St. Peter to found a new religious community called the Society of the Most Sorrowful Mother. They're commonly known as the DeLorean Fathers, and they are based out of the Archdiocese of Denver. And their primary charism is, has to do with exorcisms, right? That's primarily what they do. They try and get rid of the evil. Okay, so what is spiritual warfare? Simply put, it's the battle against evil, specifically the work of Satan and his minions. It's important to understand that there are many misperceptions about spiritual warfare and that the faithful are engaging in spiritual warfare, oftentimes without the right tools, without the right understanding of what they can and cannot do, and without the correct understanding of the theological and the philosophical principles of our faith. So, so we have to be careful about spiritual warfare. It's not something we just dabble in. We just say, yeah, I'm going to try this now and, and do it because we have to know what we're getting into. So why is this worth our time and our consideration today? 
Well, look around us, right? I mean, not in this room. I don't mean that. But look around us in the world. Consider the demonic activity that exists in today's world. So when I was growing up, many of you are probably close to my age. You know, there was all the talk about uh, you were playing your record albums backwards because there were like satanic lyrics in there. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. And that it was like subliminal and it was getting our head like the younger people like, what are you talking about? <laughs> we did that, so. <laughs> but, and so that was kind of subtle, right? But today... There is outright Satan worship. There are, there are certain singers that just blatantly talk about how they love Satan and they want to do Satan's will. And there's this now this great effort to promote satanic clubs in elementary schools. Wow. I mean, that's really a real thing, folks. It's a real thing. So we have to be aware of the activity of demons and how it may impact our own daily lives. Spiritual warfare is important in today's world because we are at a constant battle with evil. However, do not confuse this with various Gnostic heresies. So a heresy, again, is something against the faith. The Gnostic heresies that existed, most of them are ancient, but there are some heresies that exist today that haven't been named yet. But what, what, what happens with those old heresies is that there were some people who believed that evil was everywhere, or that God planned battles between good and evil, or that, you know, uh, Christ was, uh, his, his divinity and humanity were separate, and things like that. So, um, this is not a heretical understanding. This is uh, church teaching. So, let's go into uh, what they call, there is an official study called demonology. And this is really, if you, if you don't buy into the fact that there's demonic activity, then the rest of my talk is just going to mean nothing to you. It just is. So I'm not saying you have to buy into it, but I ask that you at least listen to what I have to say, and then you know you make your own decision. So uh, there are those who believe that good spirits are available to provide them with good things. However, most of those good spirits are actually demons. So an example like is Wiccan. They feel like that they are tapping into the forces of nature, but they're actually, in most cases, in contact with diabolic spirits. What are diabolic spirits? What are demons? In the beginning, demons were created good, and they fell through their own sin. They were actually the first grouping of angels, and they fell because Lucifer wanted to be God. So the angels, so, they, so the demons have the same quality of the angels. They share that together. There's a hierarchy among the demons just as there is among the angels. So, you know, some of you may remember the nine choirs of angels, right? So the same way, there, there is a similar hierarchy among the demons. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas said, This harmony among the demons by which some are obedient to others is not from friendship, which they have among themselves, but from a common iniquity by which they hate man and fight against the justice of God. So the demons will work together when they have a common goal, which is to bring down humanity and fight against God. But they will hate each other. There is no love among demons because there's no love in hell, of course. They retain, demons retain their own intellect and will. Angels all have an intellect and a will. They have a rational uh, spirit about them. And like angels, demons have all the knowledge of the essence of created things, 
as well as those things revealed to them by God. They have a tremendous amount of knowledge. The angels do about us, and the demons do as well. However, the demons don't share that information with each other. Like I said, they really hate each other. They're in competition with each other. They'll keep information from each other because for the demons, information is power. Okay, So if they know something about somebody, they won't share that with other demons because that information gives them the power to be effective in, in their goal to destroy humanity. Demons never want to give another demon an advantage, nor do they want to look poorly in the eyes of each other. The demons actually like to set up the higher demons, so the lower demons like set up the higher ones to be humiliated as part of their desire to see the other demons harmed. Again, that's a kind of... Uh, you'll see a trend here. So you'll see a trend with, with demonic activity. It's almost always the inverse of what we believe to be good. So as much as we would want to like laud each other, help each other, promote each other, lift each other up, demons want to do the opposite. They want to tear each other down and they want to see uh, everybody be humiliated but them. Uh, they delight in the punishment of humanity. Uh, they like to see us fail. They... Um, they uh, experience fear as well. You would think demons wouldn't be fearful, but they are, because they're worried one day that God will restrain their ability to bring people to sin, and their ability to influence others will come to an end, except for their influence upon the damned in hell. They also fear the final judgment when they will be fully exposed for their lowliness. So, we have to also understand that the, that the demons do nothing without the permission of God, okay? God permits the demons to do what they do. Uh, so it's not as if God is fighting them and God is powerless against them. God is all-powerful. We believe that as part of our faith. So we, we believe that God permits the demons to exercise demonic activity. I'll, I'll go into a little bit more of this in, in a couple minutes. So the demons do exercise some dominion, some authority over mankind, and that's because of Adam's sin. The first sin, the original sin, that left us all with, the, uh, uh, with concupiscence, which is the inclination to commit sin. Those who have not been baptized are subject to the power of demons even more than others because their original sin has not been removed. The power of all demons comes from God. He is all goodness. He uses the demons to fight for our good, which is the purification of our souls. Hard to understand, folks. It really is. Why would God make something bad happen to us to make us better? Well, that's, that's how God works because I'll use myself as an example. I won't use you. Sometimes I'm a little thick, thick uh, you know, scald here. I don't uh, always get things the, the real quickly. It takes me a little while. Sometimes you've got to beat me over the head with it. Sometimes the bad things that happen get my attention easier than the good things that happen. And then I say, all right, God, I get it. You know, um, like sometimes I'll complain about how busy I am, and then I'll get you know, like this crazy schedule, and I'll say, I get it, God, you know, I'll, I won't complain anymore about being busy because you say, you thought you were busy before, look now. So, <laughs> so I, God does that in some ways to bring good out of us. Now, how do demons work? They attack us where we are at our weakest, and they know that. But we can grow in virtue from fighting the demons. This is why spiritual warfare is really an exciting topic. 
because the the good that it can generate within our souls. We can grow in virtue when we fight the demons because uh, we'll grow stronger, we'll grow in virtue, and the demons in, in their own way become an instrument of sanctification. I know it doesn't make sense, but that's true. Uh, that's only if the person is in a state of grace. If the person is not in a state of grace, and you remember, mortal sin, no mortal sin on the soul, that's how you stay in a state of grace. If a person is not in a state of grace, God may allow the, de the demon to attack, to teach the person a lesson, or even to punish him. Now, I said this earlier, I'm going to repeat this again, because this is a hard concept to get. Demons cannot do anything without divine permission. They are slaves of Jesus Christ. At times, people believe that a demon acts at will and that it's up to the demon to decide who and when he will attack. But when a demon attacks, it is actually determined by God because of what God wants to achieve. And it is our reliance and confidence in God alone. That's what God ultimately wants for us. He wants us to rely upon him alone. He wants, God wants us to look to him for everything. And so sometimes, you know, we get caught up in all kinds of stuff, you know, just daily things that really have no importance to our afterlife. So that's what sometimes God wants to kind of rattle us a little bit and say, hey, remember, you're going to heaven. I mean, then that's what you want to do, and you need to focus on heaven. Heaven should be our home. There's a great quote by St. Alphonsus Liguori, one of my, one of my favorite saints, who said once that if we had any idea how long eternity is, we would live our lives differently. True. That's true. So anyway, so the demons, um, they attack with God's permission. How do they attack us? So what happens when a demon attacks us? Well, they can have power over our bodies. They can manipulate the senses, our common sense, our memory, our imagination, our cognitive power, and the appetites in which we have emotions. When I use the word appetite, I use it in the um, Thomas Aquinas mode of saying appetite. Appetite is not necessarily meaning that we're hungry, though it's similar to that. Appetite are those things like the passions we have, the things that kind of uh, take control of us without warning. So like when we're really hungry, you know, that's why you, you have an appetite for it, because you feel like you just got to eat right then. So uh, the appetites are those things, those are our emotions, those are the things that don't have much of a rational basis. Demons can move the body and bodily organs while we're awake or asleep. They can compose and divide what we have seen to create something new so they can distort what we see. They can deceive us by putting things in our mind that are not true. Demons can disturb the interior imagination and can darken the intellect and clarity of thought. They can cause the elevation of the mind so that people believe what they suggest is true. So sometimes if a demon's in your head telling you, you know, like, um, uh, you, can, you can fly, okay? Say you could fly out of a window, of a second floor window, you could fly. We believe it's true because somehow the demon has distorted our reality to believe that that is. They can affect one's disposition. They can make one feel good or bad. They can block people from falling asleep by causing insomnia. They can even toy with feelings of sexual satisfaction. Despite all that demons can do, they cannot act directly upon the will of humans because that is a spiritual faculty. What does that mean? 
It means that all of us were created with free will, okay? We all have free will. That gives us the decisions to do good or to not do good. Uh, and that's people often say, well, why did God put the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden if he knew that Adam and Eve were going to eat the fruit from it? Well, because they had free will. They made that decision. God didn't make them do it. He knew they were going to do it. He didn't make them do it. They had free will. So demons cannot act directly upon our will. They cannot make us do something. They can only act upon the body. They cannot put something new in the imagination which was not previously there. Demons operate by several principles. They will promote within their target anything but God. They will want us to focus on everything but God. My perfect example of that is the Kardashians. <laughs> they will even allow a person to have an exaggerated devotion to certain elements of church teaching. So you may look at somebody like, oh my gosh, they're so holy and they're so into the church and they do all this. But sometimes that devotion distracts that person or detracts them from their proper worship and submission to God. So the demons sometimes do things that seem good, but they're really not. Because what their goal is, again, I repeated this about a dozen times, they want to drive us away from God. They will practice the demonic principle of inversion. Everything they do inverts the right order. And this pertains not just in relationship to the activities of human beings and their own activities, but even at the order of understanding. So the demon will present the inversion as the real truth. Uh, so an example for that might be that um, a, a wife believes that her husband is being unfaithful when in fact he's being faithful, but that inversion of the truth becomes so real to that wife that she can't be convinced of anything else. A third principle of demons is anything but moderation. Demons are always trying to incite a person to the excess or to the defect in their behavior. So moderation, we think, okay, yeah, so I had oh, a couple glasses of wine the other night, you know. Uh, but it's more than that. Sometimes it's with our behavior as well. Sometimes we become excessive. Whether we're doing something good that may distract us from God or from our state in life, which might be wife, mother, grandmother, you know, all those things. And, and you feel like, well, I'm doing something good, but you're, you're not fulfilling your state of life as that role that God has given you. So it may be something good or it may be something bad that you become completely caught up in and uh, you do it to excess. Another principle by which demons operate, never reveal what they know. As I stated earlier, knowledge is power to the demons. They will not share what they know as long as it doesn't have the power to inflict suffering, because they'll do everything they can to make us suffer. The principle of perpetuity is what is called when one identifies generational problems in which the demon has perpetuated their possession or influence within family lines or communities. Father Ripperger is a great uh, proponent, speaks very well about the idea of generational spirits, generational curse. I'm not as adept in those areas, and I don't know exactly, I mean, I listen to him and I say, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I get that. I can see how there could be a generational curse. But um, sometimes then I think, like, 
like when people do something really ridiculous and they say, this is just because of the way I was raised as my mom and dad. And, you know, sometimes I think it's an easy out. So I go back and forth. I don't deny the existence of a generational curse or a generational spirit. I don't deny that. And that can exist within family lines or even in communities. I also don't know how common it is. So Finally, the last principle of demonic activity is that the order of authority in hell is strict. Even after the fall of angels, the order of demons remains intact. One demon's over another. They have a certain hierarchy, okay? That hasn't changed, and that maintains there. So, so that's the first thing that I ask you to accept in, in thinking about uh, spiritual warfare. We have to acknowledge the existence of demonic activity, okay? And, and again, you know, I think it's, we have to be careful that we don't fall too much into Hollywood perception of demons with, you know, like ugly and snarling teeth and things like that. We have to, you know, realize that they may look normal, you know, they may look normal. Don't look around at the people at your table and try to see who you think is a demon or isn't a demon, all right? Don't do that. That's not why we're here. Okay, that is not why we're here. <laughs> okay, so how does one become diabolically influenced, right? How does that happen? Well, exorcists commonly use the term open door to refer to something that allows a demon into one's life. An open door is an effect, and that effect may be formally defined as that which disposes an individual to be possibly subject to a particular diabolic influence. So we open a door that makes us more susceptible to a diabolical influence. It's not always cause and effect, folks. We have, so we have to be careful about that, too. You know, sometimes, um, I mean, I, I think Ouija boards are awful, uh, but does everybody who touches a Ouija board, are they going to be diabolically influenced? There's not that direct cause and effect. It makes you a lot more susceptible. I wouldn't take my chances with it, but... Uh, it's, it's not direct cause of effect. It just makes you more susceptible. Uh, and then usually this happens, uh, this, this kind of open door thing happens after someone's committed a mortal sin. That's when we kind of become a lot more susceptible. Mortal sin blocks us from receiving God's grace, and that's when we become much more susceptible to uh, that sense of diabolic influence. Uh, one can also become subject to diabolic activity, when one person is acted upon by another in a gravely disordered fashion. So what this means is that um, there, there are people around uh, who, and I'll talk a little bit about this in a, in a couple minutes, um, there are people around who can negatively influence someone else, okay? Now, uh, I know that uh, my Italian friends here, I'm half Italian, call them a or something along those lines. And that really is a spiritual principle, folks. It really is. So um, the other ways that another person can impact directly that sense of being more susceptible to diabolical influence is when a person acts upon another in a gravely disordered way. So what does that mean? Think about the awful things that could happen to somebody. Rape, molestation, grave psychological abuse, grave physical abuse. Somebody doing those things to another, that person who is the victim, unfortunately, also becomes very susceptible 
to diabolic influence. Not fair, not right, just is what it is. Okay, every mortal sin is an open door, and we use the word open door a lot uh, because that's, that's the best way to describe it, is that it's just like an open door that, you know, come on in demons. And sometimes they come in and sometimes they don't. So uh, there are certain mortal sins that people commit which are more likely to open the door to extraordinary diabolic influence. Here is a list in no specific order, okay? So I'm going to share with you this list of sins that, you, that we could commit that make us more likely to have that open door to diabolical influence. Idolatry, especially satanic worship, superstitious practices, witchcraft, certain forms of magic, spiritism, sacrilege, becoming a member of a forbidden society such as the Freemasons, murder, having had an abortion, performing abortion, using certain kinds of drugs, sodomy, incest, rape, habitually defrauding the laborer of his wage and oppression of the poor. The last two might be a little surprising to you, and they, they, but those are things that we need to think about as well, how we treat other. You know, Christ gave us the two greatest commandments, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, and both of those would violate that. Uh, and so I talked a little bit about this. There, there, there's the instance of evil done by others, particularly in the form of curses. I don't want to spend a lot of time on curses, but I, I do think they're worth mentioning. So there are three kinds of curses. Curses technically, Father Ripperger calls them, and I, 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 I pronounce this like six different ways. Uh, it's spelled M-A-L-E-F-I-C-E. M-A-L-E-F-I-C-E. So malfice. Mal, I, then I look at my, my Latin comes out, malefice, uh, malfeche. I don't know, malefice. I think it's malefice, like malice. I don't know. So, three kinds of curses. The first is in regard to deeds or works in which specific evil things that people do are done in order to open up the door on other people, the negative influence of one person on another. It may be some kind of magic that somebody's done by a witch or somebody like that. It's normally done to harm somebody or something. Usually it's done out of resentment. This is the case where one may be cursed because of something directly caused that comes into contact with the individual. So uh, this would be a case, so say somebody wanted to put a curse on you and they put something in food that you ate unknowingly, okay? Uh, and this is, the, this is the disgusting part. I apologize for this in advance. But, but usually when that happens, if somebody does that, puts a, a curse on food that you've eaten unknowingly, you eat the food, you don't know it's cursed, Usually that cursed food contains some type of bodily fluid or liquid, okay? Or a body part, or a body part, yeah. yeah. That's a sick mind. That's a sick mind. The second kind of curse or malefice is a vocal one, which is the inversion of a blessing. Remember I talked about the demons want to invert everything. They want to turn everything upside down, right? So they will do a vocal curse, which is meant to mimic and mock what a priest or somebody would do as a blessing. You know, a blessing brings down graces upon people. The vocal curse brings down awful things on people. So the curse usually involves phrases or rituals in which the individual curses something or someone. A formal curse is one in which simple phrases are used. Curses can affect both persons and things. Things can be cursed, okay, in a very determinate way. Sometimes... Sometimes, if someone really is upset with you and has the power to do this, 
they will put a seal on the curse that makes it permanent. Harder to get rid of. The third kind of malefice is called a fortuna. Not the funeral home, it's called a fortuna, okay? <laughs> this is, again, the inversion of a Catholic sacramental and includes everything. So you think about like a, a voodoo doll, right? Well, what does that look like in the Catholic faith possibly? A statue, right? The image of a statue. So they find things that the Catholic's faith has used, and they invert it. They make it to be used for evil. So you think about um, string or yarn. That's the inversion of chastity, cords, and cinctures, feathers and amulets, which are the inversion of blessed metals, and so on and so on. It is said that demons can transport fortuna, uh, which is, again, these, these um, evil sacramentals, or whatever you want to call I guess. It said that demons can transport those items and actually place them inside a person's body without being visible. It is important that if a fortuna is found, if you find something weird like that, it should not be touched with bare skin. Gloves or a plastic bag should be used to retrieve it. It must be disposed of immediately by burning and scattering the ashes or melted down and placed in a large body of water. Okay. So, uh, again, I want to spend a lot of time on curses, but they exist. That's part of it, so that's how it goes. Okay. Uh, so why are demons allowed to attack? Remember, we've, we've talked about why they're only allowed to attack with the permission of God, okay? Everyone can breathe here in a minute, right? You can breathe a little bit. <laughs> okay. All right. I know this is heavy stuff. This is really heavy stuff, and I acknowledge that. Uh, and I really prayed a lot about presenting this to all of you and that you'd have open hearts to receive this. Okay, why, do, why are demons allowed to attack? Well, like we said earlier, that Satan can be an instrument of purification. And that temptations coming from demons can serve as a corrective to the individual. So sometimes when a demon attacks, it may help a person change their previous poor behavior, their previous sinful behavior. Fighting the diabolic can help to increase one's own virtue. You can become stronger uh, in, in, in faith. You can become stronger in your love for God. You can become stronger in your fortitude, in your patience, all those virtues that exist. Uh, demonic activity can detach the person from this life and things of the world. Ultimately, that's what, you know, we, we eventually will detach from this world. All of us will. At some point, the time will come. And sometimes, again, we get too caught up in the things of this world. I mean, go to my school and try to take the phones away from my eighth grade students. They go nuts. You know, that's an attachment. That's an attachment. Diabolic acts turn our eyes toward heaven so that we desire eternal beatitude and eternal salvation. We should, this should increase our desire to want to go to heaven to be with God forever. Fighting the spiritual battle is a manifestation of God's glory by meeting out justice on the demons as well as increasing God's glory in this world. What that means is that with God, we will always be victorious. We will always win the fight against demonic activity, okay? That will always happen. And when we, when we fight with the right tools, with the right mindset, doing what we need to do, uh, we, we glorify God with that. Those who fight the spiritual battle are an instrument of God's justice itself. Those who fight the spiritual battle are an instrument of God's charity. Sometimes God allows demons in the life of an individual in order to punish him. Sometimes when we've really done something wrong, we get punished. 
and God allows that to happen. By battling the diabolic and undergoing suffering that is involved in spiritual warfare, it properly offered up, and I was just talking to somebody right beforehand about offering things up, uh, one can use the diabolic battle and subsequent suffering as a valuable means of reparation to God. So we can use our spiritual warfare as reparation for something we may have done in the past. So, you know, uh, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, so let me tell you, there's a whole list of things that I probably got to make reparation for, right? <laughs> so that, I think, are those... so. Fighting spiritual warfare battles helps make that reparation to God as a means, again, of saying sorry for what we've done. It's a means of education. It can help the individual learn the mercy and love of God. It can draw the person closer to God. It can help the individual develop greater confidence, hope, and trust in God. They can be a means of sanctification and merit. Some God, sometimes God allows the demons to attack in order to give the person an indication that he's doing good. Demons don't attack those who are doing bad in this world. That's why sometimes people say to me, they say, you know, every, you know, I do everything right, and I go to Mass, and I pray every day, and then my buddy at work, and he wins the lottery, and does, he has a great life, and he's not doing any of that. Well, you know, he's already on the path. You know, the, the demons don't need to attack that guy. They need to attack us who are doing good. One of the most apparent ways that demons act is to make, um, they make sensible the existence of the invisible world. So what they do is, is we are, we, when we find ourselves and we really begin to take seriously this concept of spiritual warfare, we do find that our thoughts, our minds, the way we live becomes elevated in a sense that we're focused more on the supernatural. Okay? We're less concerned about the things of this world, more concerned about the things of eternity. Uh, the demons in our lives and the lives of others become weakened when we, when we battle them and we combat them. It also helps us to gain a healthy distrust of oneself. What's that even mean, a distrust of oneself? Sometimes, you know, you've heard people say to you, get out of your own head, right? Because you're, you're in your head, you're, you're, you're convincing yourself of something that is so far from reality. You know, that's what we do sometimes. Sometimes we have to be distrustful of ourselves. Like say, gosh, that's not, that's not true. So like in the seminary, uh, sometimes a guy would say like, I'm not meant to be a priest. And you know, the spiritual director would say to that guy, what leads you to believe that? Oh, I just don't feel like I should be. I don't feel like I'm worthy. I don't feel... That's, all, that's all made up. That's not true. You're being affirmed by the people who are forming you. You're doing good in your educational practices. You're doing well in your, in your field education as a seminarian. So every, all the other signs point that you should be a priest. So that's what we have to sometimes distrust ourselves. It also helps us to develop a strong virtue of humility. And in some cases, uh, we have to engage in spiritual warfare, even really intense spiritual warfare, to break the generational spirit for, the, for succeeding generations. We have to be very careful not to engage in occult activities or those that are new age. This means, okay, you might disagree with me on some in this list, but I'm going to give it to you. Uh, this means one should not visit psychics, fortune tellers. I don't even think you should read horoscopes in the newspaper, really. In addition, one should also avoid engaging in activities that are grounded in a pagan or false religion. This would include yoga, in which one assumes poses that are the worship of a Hindu god. 
I know. People have told me, they said, well, when I assume those poses, I'm not even thinking about a Hindu god. You're still assuming those poses that, are, that mimic Hindu gods, and it, 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 it's something I wouldn't do. It opens a door. Uh, th- just the same way. So somebody could, you know, like somebody who has no knowledge of Christianity could make the sign of the cross, right? And they may not know what they're doing, but they're making the sign of the cross, and that is, again, reflective of something else. Same thing with yoga. Okay, there are two kinds of diabolic influencers, ordinary diabolic influence and extraordinary, and those mean exactly what you think they would be. So ordinary is usually comes in the form of two types of activity, temptations and snares, and those are exactly what you think they would be. Temptations, right? Um, if this were a room of men, I would say, you all know what I'm talking about with temptation. Uh, women, I would say maybe two. <laughs> uh, and snares would be those things that, ca- that trip us up, right? Like a snare, S-N-A-R-E, a snare. Sometimes these circumstances come along which capture the unwary Christian and then throws him or her into you know, a difficult situation. Temptations can be used by the demon through the imagination, through our memory, and through our passions. The avoiding of temptations is the same way to avoid snares. Stay away from the persons, places, and things which cause us to be tempted, right? So if you are, you know, you have a problem with, um, you know, Rocky Road ice. I don't even think they make Rocky Road ice cream anymore, do they? Oh, they do? Okay, okay. So if you have a problem with Rocky Road ice cream, you love Rocky Road ice cream, uh, and you eat to excess, you eat so much that you throw it up or whatever, it's awful, uh, then you probably shouldn't go to places that have Rocky Road ice cream, right? Because you might not be strong enough to withstand that. Prayer also has to be practiced because especially at the moment of temptation, one has to turn entirely to God and foster this contempt for the demonic. To to combat ordinary diabolic influence, here's the spiritual warfare part. Here's what you do. You have to know the source of the snare of the temptation. You have to know whether, usually they fall into one of three areas, the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? You've heard that before. So if, if your temptation's coming from the world, you have to practice detachment. And that's not only removing yourself from that situation, but it's also, a detachment's also getting rid of your mental link to that. You're like, like I need this, I need this. No, you don't need it. You really don't. That's, a, that's, a, that's an attachment. Uh, if the temptation comes from the flesh, one must work on doing mortification. We'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit. And uh, it, those, those things that come from the devil, if you're working on detachment and you're working on mortification, you'll be successful in fighting the devil. Once temptations begin, a person must be prompt in dealing with them. Do not allow temptations to linger in your head for very long. Get rid of them. You must act energetically by not allowing regret or attachment to get in the way. So don't think like, um, you know, gosh, I'll, I'll, I, I, I've already allowed this to go on too long. I feel terrible about it. Uh, I'm a terrible person. No. You can do what's called a self-exorcism. You can say the words of Christ from sacred scripture. The most well-known one that he has said is, get behind me, Satan. He said that to Peter. Uh, Get behind me, Satan. You could say that. That's what they call a self-exorcism. In addition, my mic's dropping a little bit. Let me try there. Okay. In addition, one should know and should say the acts of faith and hope in order to show confidence in God. So those are, you know, official prayers of the church, the act of faith, the act of hope. 
Uh, we all probably know the act of contrition. Not as many of us know the acts of faith and hope. I've tried to memorize them over and over again over the last year, and I'm stuck still. So I'm going to keep working on it. But again, the brain's like concrete sometimes. <laughs> One of the most effective tools in dealing with ordinary and extraordinary diabolic activity is daily meditation. We'll talk about that too. And lastly, remember Christ's passion and have a strong devotion to Our Lady. Extraordinary diabolic influence is characterized by the intensity of the influence. So when what may be ordinary might be mild, what's extraordinary is, is intense. Okay, I'm going to go through these quick because, gosh, I got a lot of ground. Uh, Ordinary diabolic oppression. These are the ordinary things that could happen. Could be vexations. Those are the little things that may annoy us, okay? Things that can involve our health, our relationships, or work. They're not in, you know, you, you, you just kind of say, eh, well, that happened and I'll deal with it. Uh, sometimes uh, oppression occurs in the, in the form of external pain. That's when the demon acts physically on the flesh of a person uh, to cause it pain. Sometimes the demon can even uh, provide bruising and lacerations. However, we don't see external pain on most people. Mostly it's for the saints, okay? Uh, and, and while we all may be saints in training, uh, we're not quite there yet. Uh, and then there's the form of diabolical influence called oppression, and that's when the demon will try to attack us extrinsically, externally, the external things that we have. So there are various forms. There's the one that's related to our body when sickness may be caused or psychological illness. Um, the health issue disappears, reappears, shifts from one part of the body to another. Um, scratches, and, and scratches and bruises may just appear. That's a form of oppression. There are also oppressions related to the mind. Uh, this may be a persistent state manifested in certain ways. And again, you think like, well, like those are the people who, you know, have some mental health issues. It's more than that. It could be exhaustion. It could be weird dreams. It could be psychological attacks such as, uh, you know, times of depression or anger. It could affect your perception of yourself. It could attempt to isolate you from others around you, especially those that love you. Um, it could make you clumsy or cause physical harm to yourself. So sometimes I think, oh, maybe, maybe I am, uh, you know, oppressed in the mind. I don't know. Uh, it could be, sometimes we see it in the form of infestation of pests, lots of flies, things like that, or attack of one's reputation. And then the third form is oppressions related to work, finances, and property, in which the demon will try to attack you in those areas as well. Remedies against demonic oppression. If there is one suffering from diabolic oppression, he must make an effort to grow in the spiritual life uh, by an increase in prayer, sacramental life, and the use of sacramentals. So I'm often asked to go bless homes, okay? And I'll do that readily. I'm happy to do it. I'll go do the blessing of the homes. However, if the people who live there are not willing to change their lives in any way, by growing in faith, it's pointless. Uh, you all are, should be familiar, at least, with the scripture reading from St. Matthew, in which uh, 
The, the man uh, clean, had, you know, his home was infested by demons. He cleans it out. He goes away. He comes back seven more. You know, that's because he changed nothing of his life. It's worse. I told somebody recently, I said, if I come bless your house, it's going to be worse when I leave. It's going to be worse. You got to change what you're doing. Um, there are three forms of remedies in the, uh, in the spiritual life for demonic oppression. Uh, again, a person must grow in their spiritual life. Often means going to confession on a regular basis, at the minimum weekly mass, must stop mortally sinning, must follow the moral teachings of the church. Uh, the second is by having a priest pray over the person in one of two ways. The priest could offer generic deliverance prayers to see if they have some kind of effect. The other way would be that a priest or exorcist pray over the oppressed person. So again, you have to be a licensed exorcist. Licensed, I don't know if license is the right word. You have to be an official exorcist at a diocese to do that. So, The third manner of breaking oppression has to do with a twofold approach. Uh, we have to... Um, so say like, uh, say like we think like uh, there's something in our house, right? We have to affirm our natural, God-given right, by natural law, God gave us the right to have dominion over things in this world. We have to affirm that. We have to say to the, to the demon present, this is my house, this is the house that I own, I've worked very hard on this house, I don't want you here. Simple as that. Uh, Another manner of breaking oppression is to consecrate all of your exterior goods to Our Lady, to do it in a proper fashion, to be completely detached. So, so just as, as many of you I know have gone through the 33-day consecration to the Blessed Virgin Mary, great program. We also sometimes have to do that for our things. Now again, it doesn't have to be 33 days, but we can say this thing that I have is Mary's. Okay. Uh, diabolical, diabolic oppression um, looks like this. Uh, could be a psychological attack. Uh, the demon could drive the person to ruminate incessantly over a particular thought. So this happens when we just keep running through something in our head over and over again. This is an attempt to weaken us so that uh, we develop this psychological habit it makes us miserable when we do that, when we go over and over and over those things. The demons want us to be as miserable as them. Uh, we could also focus on that aspect of uh, what the demon is asking us to do, and, and this, this manifests itself. So when somebody worries constantly about everything, I know, you're going to say, well, I worry a lot. No, somebody who worries constantly, like, you know, um, oh, I'm going to have a bowl of cereal. The milk's going to be bad. The milk might be bad. Oh, the cereal, look, there might be bugs in it. You know, you worry about everything. Or um, you become very scrupulous, okay? And scrupulosity is a really serious spiritual affliction. People who have scrupulosity are those who feel like everything they've done is a sin or they're unsure whether they've done it. So sometimes they'll say, um, I may or may not have had uh, impure thoughts. Well, did you or didn't you? Well, I don't really, I mean, I did, but I, I got tried to get rid of them. Well, did you get rid of them? No, but they came back, but I tried to get rid of them. So then you're fine, you did that, okay? So, but, but scrupulous people will question that. Well, maybe I didn't try hard enough. Maybe I should have done more. Maybe I should have distracted myself more. Maybe I should have said another rosary. You know, scrupulosity is really tough, very tough. In authentic cases of diabolic oppression, Obsession, sorry, obsession. The attack tends to be sudden. It comes out of nowhere. Uh, and sometimes it can be sudden and it can be subtle. 
And so then you don't even realize that you're being attacked until um, you're unable to have the self-reflection to realize you're being attacked. Uh, the demon, in many cases of diabolic op- obsession, exercises a kind of tyranny or an abusive domination over the individuals regarding his psychological faculties. That means that the demon's not your friend. He's, what he's saying to you is not being friendly. He wants to dominate you. He wants to um, be able to abuse you so you're miserable. Those suffering from diabolic op- obsession will often suffer from emotional attacks those tend to be above and beyond what one would naturally experience. That means that, you know, when you see somebody whose reaction to something is like just way over the top, you know, whether it's joy or sadness or anger, sometimes that's a form of diabolic obsession. Sometimes when we uh, feel like, um, when we be, when we rely less upon our intellect, rest less upon our free will, and more upon our feelings, that's when the demon begins also to make an attempt to um, control us in that way. Sometimes you may experience nauseating odors, strange noises, music with blasphemous lyrics out of nowhere, from nowhere, and that could be a sign of diabolic obsession. Remedies include prayer and spiritual discipline, fasting, doing other forms of penance and mortification, especially those that may address that specific problem of obsession. One should also ask Our Lady of Sorrows what the nature is of the demon who uh, one is combating or what is underneath the issue of of obsession. Meditation is often recommended for those who are dealing with demonic activity. The reason that meditation is so powerful is because it trains the mind to control the imagination and keep it focused upon the object of meditation. Meditation is simply just reflecting upon either a point of scripture, a point of spiritual reading, and and it doesn't have to be long. 15 minutes of meditation is perfect. But, you know, this this is what evil has done in our world. You can't get away from noise for a minute. It's everywhere, everywhere. Meditation needs to be done in silence. It needs to be quiet. 15 minutes of silence meditating upon a point of scripture. And you may say, I tried meditation, it doesn't work, I can't do it. Try again, try again, try again, okay? Uh, and, and you need to just keep training your mind to focus on that point of meditation. Okay, and then, so then we move to, you know, some of the more serious forms of diabolic uh, uh, influence. That's possession. That's what you think about when you think about uh, demonic activity, Hollywood movies, possession, they take over things, right? But they don't have unlimited influence over our bodies. They only can control our bodies to the extent that God allows them. And possession only occurs in the body. The soul cannot be possessed, okay? Never. The soul can never be possessed because it's inhabited by God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So our soul is always there intact. Um, persons that are possessed go through periods where they seem very lucid and periods where they seem like out of their minds. Not every demon in hell is permitted to possess any human being at any time in history. Uh, those demons that are permitted to possess tend to be uh, very common. Uh, they tend to be the ones such as Satan, Asmodeus, Leviathan, Lilith, Orisus, Isis, etc. Most of the demons only get to possess once or if at all. Uh, if one of the better-known demons is involved in possessions because it may be related to one's sin. 
So again, there are many different kinds. There's partial versus full possession. You can get what that's about. Temporary versus stable. In order to be freed from the possession, the possessed must do the following. Uh, they must try to do the work. So here's what happened. Again, like in the case where uh, somebody wanted me to bless their house but weren't willing to change their life. When someone is possessed, they have to do 90% of the work to rid themselves of that possession. The exorcist only does 10%. So it's not as if you just lay there and the exorcist does everything. You have to work to battle this demonic activity as well. The possessed must follow all the requests and commands of the exorcist. The possessed must maintain a prayer regimen as determined by the exorcist. The possessed must be willing to suffer or sacrifice whatever it takes to get rid of the demon. The possessed must be willing to engage the spiritual battle for as long as God determines. Um, on There's some other things here, too. I want to keep moving through this. Okay. Uh, interesting. I just think this is note. Children are rarely possessed or even diabolically obsessed. Uh, most children who exhibit behavior problems are not extraordinarily diabolically influenced. However, demons in families that are attached to the parents or to locations often attack children first. Interestingly enough, and this is, and when you think about this, you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Children who suffer from autism or Asperger's rarely experience extraordinary diabolic influence. So um, I think because they're just, there's just such a goodness about them. That's what I think. Quickly, three classic signs of possession, speaking in a foreign language that one may not know, occult, occult knowledge, knowing things from the future or hidden things, um, doing things beyond the human capacity, which uh, they, the word they use is morphine, where you can change your appearance of your face, you can do something odd with your body. I think, uh, you know, and you've seen, I think, in movies, you know, somebody may, may be able to bend their back in a certain way that's not, you know, possible, uh, levitate, things like that. So those are all things that could happen. The possessed will show a revulsion, revolvin, revol, revulsion, revulsion. Right? I'm saying that right? Why does it sound odd to me? Revulsion. There's something sacred. Now, there are some that say you can't be possessed because you, you can still receive Holy Communion, but that's not true. The possessed can still receive those sacraments. They may not do anything for them. The demon may hate them. But if the demon were to show that, that uh, this person could not receive Holy Communion and they had been a daily communicant before, then... They, they, they tip their hand. The last thing a demon wants to do is to tip their hand because once it becomes evident that they're there, then every action is to get rid of it. Um, okay. <coughs> Finally, um, there's this, the final area of diabolic, diabolic activity is called subjugation. I'm not going to get into this very much. It's just the uh, making a pact with the devil. Okay, You know, people sell their souls to the devil. Don't do it. It's an awful thing to do. Um, but that's part of it as well. There's also diabolic infestation when demons possess like, like places and things and things like that. Okay, how do we combat this? Uh, first, we rely upon our natural methods, custody of the mind. We think about good, holy things. We try to grow in virtue. Uh, demons are agents of disorder and chaos. They seek to create disorder, which is most evident in the structure of the family today. So, don't beat me up about this. Let me get to my car safely. But Father Ripperger firmly believes that the structure of the family should be as traditional as possible. Okay, the leadership of the father and the husband, the submission of the wife to maintain the order within the home, the obedience of the children, that puts everything in right order. 
Uh, one should avoid physical exhaustion, maintain a routine schedule, go to bed at a reasonable hour, get up at a reasonable hour. Your daily routine should include prayers at specific times. The Angelus is a great way. If you don't pray the Angelus, you know, I've got a little bell on my phone that goes off 6 a.m. noon and 6 p.m. Do that. Pray the Angelus. I mean, that is such a powerful prayer to pray, and uh, it, it gets you into a routine. Um, Avoid sin, avoid sin, avoid sin, avoid sin, right? Yeah. Okay, and then uh, there's a whole part about fasting, but I think now I'm starting to get over a little bit, so I want to just move real quickly to the last part that I have, okay? Am I good still, right? I'm good? A couple more minutes, yeah, that's what they're saying. Like, wrap it up, Father. Okay. (laughs) Very nice. Becky's very nice. Okay, so... Couple of things. We should have we should have a blessed crucifix in our home. We should have holy water in our home. And I tell people, so a priest can bless holy water in any number of ways. You could bring water here, right? All the water in your tables, and I could just wave my hands like this and say, I bless that holy water and it's blessed, okay? And that's fine, and it's blessed holy water. However, there is an older rite of blessing of holy water that involves exorcism of salt. And blessing of salt, exorcism of water, blessing of the water, the salt and the water are combined together. I think there's a great efficaciousness to that holy water. I'm not saying it's better than the holy water that the other priest may bless with just a wave of the hand. I do think that that process of exercising the water and the salt is very powerful. Okay. Um, you could you could you could have holy water at your house. You should there you should have blessed salt. Uh, I often scatter blessed salt around the perimeter of the property. You could have blessed olive oil. Blessed olive oil can be used for cooking. So could salt, so could the water. However, do not use blessed oil to fry things in because it's not meant for that. But if you're adding it to a salad or something like that, that's okay. (laughs) Blessed incense, blessed fire, blessed chalk. We use blessed chalk on the Epiphany, and that's something you want to have. Uh, a long-standing tradition in the church has been the use of medals, particularly the Benedictine medal, the St. Benedict medal, or the Miraculous medal. Both those are very powerful sacramentals that you should have, and they are, you, you are blessed very specifically with when you get those medals. Scapular, the brown scapular. Uh, so I, I get in trouble sometimes when I say this, but all of those who are probably like above a certain age, like maybe... I'm going to say 60, 70, maybe. They'll come to me and they'll be like, I don't know if I was invested in the brown scapular or not. I said, how old are you? Well, I'm like 71. Yes, you were. Believe me, you were. Because everybody was invested in the brown scapular then. But I don't remember it. It doesn't matter. It's on the day of your first communion. You are more concerned about, you know, uh, uh, white dress and gloves and, and veil and cake, okay, than you were about this, this weird thing you had to put around your head. I invest all of my first communicants at my parish in the brown scapular. Every first communion, I invest them in it. Once you are invested in the brown scapular, you do not have to need to have your scapular re-blessed. You just change it out because your scapulars will break if you wear them as often as you should be, which is all the time except when you're in the shower or bath. Um, you know, candles, blessed candles are a good thing. Um, really, oh, there's so many things you can bless. So... Um, that's it. So I kind of raced a little bit at the end. I'm sorry about that, but uh, I really, uh, this is a great topic, and I'm very passionate about it, and I think that there's a lot of good things with it. So we are going to move to 
questions, and Becky's going to tell you how to do that. Oh, wait, can I do one more thing? So I just want to show you some of the books I brought. Hold on. <laughs> okay, I brought a bunch of books. So again, my main source material for this was Dominion by Father Chad Ripperger. Great book, lots of footnotes and everything. This is the Bible, Holy Bible. Sure, that's a good thing to have, right? Of course. Um, these are just two books of blessings in case, you know, I just had those. Okay, uh, Father Ripperger also wrote two books. Um, this one is the one that's most applicable for you. This one's for priests. But this one is called Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Laity. This is a great book. There are great prayers in here. It's very thin. It's not a book you read. It's just as a book of prayers. They have prayers for many kinds of situations and instances. This is a great book. So it's called Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Laity. Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Laity. Father Chad Ripperger, R-I-P-P-E-R-G-E-R. R-I-P-P-E-R-G-E-R. Okay? Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Laity. And then lastly, this book is an excellent book. So in the last couple of years, Tan Books have been publishing a lot of these, like these faux leather covers. Uh, but they're, they're great books. This is called Manual for Spiritual Warfare. And it's just it's an outstanding book of prayers, church teaching, growing in virtues. It's, it's terrific. So that's it. Becky. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to ask some. Uh, I'm going to answer some of these questions the best that I can. I am not an expert in this area, folks. I'm not an expert, so um, I'll do the best that I can. One thing I want to mention: somebody brought to me. They said, "How come you didn't mention adoration or the rosary or things?" Those are very powerful things. They were in my notes. I kind of flew through some things at the end. Those are very powerful. Okay, so don't underestimate adoration and the rosary. Uh, somebody who prays every day, who prays the rosary daily is very unlikely, if they remain in a state of grace, that they will ever experience demonic uh, uh, problems, okay? All right. A lot of the example of demonic influences that you mentioned seem more fantastical or extreme. How common are these encounters? Is this something that most people experience in more subtle ways, or is it typically manifested more overtly, as in the examples you gave? Uh, you know, it's interesting. So, I mean, I think that... Um, some of them, certainly some of the examples are extreme, but I think that when, it, when you do that, you can look at anything. So um, like I talked about how, you know, somebody may, may take control of their body or um, it may, and those, those could be anything from, you know, again, levitating to even just being clumsy. So there is kind of a, a, a spectrum upon which the activity may fall and some of it may not be evident as demonic activity, but that's usually, again, the way it begins. It comes on sudden, very subtle, and then it increases. However, every time you trip on something does not mean the demons are attacking you, okay? Please don't fall into that trap. Uh, what about Reiki and therapeutic touch? I don't know what therapeutic touch is, but I know what Reiki is, and I would stay far away from it. That's just my opinion. Uh, not, it's not my opinion. I'm sorry. That's the opinion of the church. The church has said they, they've talked about New Age activities, and the church has very clearly said uh, that Reiki is not something that, that Catholics should be participating in. I know what you're thinking. You're going to say, I know holy nuns that do it. I do too, but I'm telling you, I would stay far away from it. How do you keep them from becoming superstitious with doing deliverance prayers? Uh, I, so, I mean, it, 
we have to recognize that the power is in the prayer and how, you know, our, our kind of uh, nature of saying it in a way that we're single-minded on that prayer. We're not distracted. It's not in the number of times you say it. So don't find yourself saying, I'm going to say this deliverance prayer 12 times today. Okay. That's where you're veering into superstition. It's in your, your, your single-mindedness related to that prayer and what you're trusting God to accomplish through that prayer. You got to trust him, right? You got to say, this is what I'm praying for, and, and God, my God is a God who delivers, and he's going to uh, answer this prayer in that way. I thought God was not a punishing God. Why would he use demons to punish when, though, he is trying to bring out good? Uh, so, the, so God, it, he's not a punishing God, but in the sense bad things will happen to us to bring out good. Like I said, to grow in virtue, to grow in holiness, to help us get to heaven. Okay, Angels, I hear persons say that persons who die become angels. I thought that people do not become angels. They do not, okay? Uh, does your guardian angel get recycled to another soul when you die? No. St. Michael prayer, how protective and effective is this from evil? Powerful, powerful, powerful. St. Michael is one of the most powerful. He is the most uh, powerful archangel. Very, I mean, he, he you know, casts Satan down to hell. Very powerful. If you, if you have not memorized the St. Michael prayer, memorize it. All the kids in my school know it by memory. How do you actually determine if it's demonic activity? Well, there's always going to be a question. Is this really demonic activity or not? Again, trust yourself. So if you are in a state of grace, if you are praying on a daily basis, if you are doing the things you should be doing, you're going to be fine. Okay. However, if there are things that start hearing that start happening that are strange, if there are things that uh, occur that don't make sense, okay, like like things repeatedly, then you need to begin to look at that. Is it okay to have the brown scapular in your pocket if you don't like any jewelry or anything around your neck? Mm, not really. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's supposed to be worn around the neck. Pope Pius XII gave permission for the scapular medal but still to be worn around the neck. How would you know if someone put a curse on you? How do you keep anyone from putting a curse on you? Again, keep in a state of grace. Be aware of those things. Pray regularly. Pray for protection. Can you, can you speak about, can you talk about no such thing as good magic? Can you talk about no such thing as good magic? I don't know what, is there, is there no such thing as good magic? Yes. There's no such thing as good magic. Yes, I would say that. Yes, I would agree with that. I would agree there's no such thing as good magic. I think all magic is... Yeah, yeah. What's the strangest exorcism you've ever seen? I'm not an exorcist. I've never seen an exorcism, so... You said the devil can't have your soul, then how can you sell your soul to the devil? Well, it's just a saying. Selling your soul to the devil is really just a saying. You make a pact with the devil is what happens. You make a pact with him. You know, you make a, a deal with him. You don't really sell your soul to him. But when you do that, though... You are, in a sense, giving him your, you know, your soul when you die, if you maintain that pact. What was the basis for dominion or the author's sources? Oh boy, you know, if you, if you, I can show you the book. There are footnotes galore. Most, almost half of every page in there is footnotes and references and biographical information. So, how can fasting help? How to do it? Fasting helps because the simplest way to explain this is that. If we can deprive ourselves of something that we need to live, okay, like food, we need food to live. If we can deprive ourselves of that for a period of time, 
becomes easier to deprive ourselves of other things. Again, sometimes our appetites control us. We need to control them. And so we need to be able to say, I can eat now, I'm hungry, but I'm not going to eat now. Those are the, those, that's what a rational mind does. A rational mind says that, like, this is a good time for me to eat, this is not a good time for me to eat. Instead, too often, we're governed by our appetite. How do you do it? It's hard. When I was younger, I thought fasting was so easy, and then the older I get, the harder it becomes to do. I tell, you know, an easy way to, to start, I tell people, you know, do a half-day fast. Do a juice fast. Just drink juice, you know. Do, do something that, that, again, helps you to get a little control over uh, those things in your body. Is all illness and suffering the work of demons? Does it have a divine purpose or do some bad things just happen? I mean, sometimes illness, suffering is the result of, of our own sinful behavior or somebody else's, Okay. Sometimes that's what it is. We don't know. Sometimes it's just genetic. Okay, I, uh, I have had numerous problems with one of my eyes. I've had, I had poor eyesight in this eye. And um, I, don't, I don't believe it's demonic activity. I believe it's genetic. I think that I just got poor retinas. Could you talk a little bit more about the danger in younger children, maybe under 10? So again, children really are, they don't have, they're not in a lot of danger. Only if the house has got some kind of infestation or there's a family curse. Otherwise, children are not in great danger. Okay? So I know you've seen you know, the omen or things like that. That kid was the Antichrist. He wasn't possessed. Remember that? You know, they found that little 666 in the back of his head. Omen. It's like a movie that's like about 40 years old. <laughs> I think they remade it. Where does the Catholic Church get so much information? Or how do they know so much about demons? What is the authority for this? Same as I heard before. Look, there's millions of footnotes. Can you clarify? God permits demons activity, but he doesn't tell people to go attack people, right? Um, he doesn't tell, people, doesn't tell demons to attack, but he'll give them the ability to do it. So he may say, um, you know, don't attack don't attack Becky. You know, you're, 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 it's, a, it's a losing fight trying to attack Becky. She's so good. You'll never make her ever do anything bad. Father Brown, on the other hand, attack him and see if you can help him grow in virtue and holiness. Yeah. So he just allows it. What is your opinion, position on Halloween? Okay, I was waiting for this. I knew this was going to come up tonight. Uh, so here's my opinion on Halloween. Um, Kids, trick-or-treating is fine. Uh, we have to make sure, though, like, what, what are you glorifying that night? So uh, it, at my school, I had a third-grade girl came up to me about, well, she's in high school now, so this is a while ago, and she said, uh, for Halloween, I'm going to be a zombie cheerleader. And I'm like, why? You know, why, we have to be, why are we glorifying those things? So, you know, there's nothing wrong with kids dressing up, going trick-or-treating. I mean... Okay, and I know, there's, and there's some really traditional people, and I agree with them. They say, we shouldn't celebrate Halloween. We need to celebrate All Hallows' Eve. That's the night before All Saints' Day. I agree with that. Believe me, I agree. In a perfect world, that's great. But when you've got a little kid who is six years old, and all his buddies are going trick-or-treating, and you're the mean mom that won't let him go because you think it's evil, you know, it's a hard place to be in. It's a hard place to be in. So... Not a huge fan of Halloween. I'm not, I don't really like it, but 
I think in some ways it's, it's, it's okay. What is your experience with the green scapular? Very minimally. You know, I know they're everywhere. Somebody sends them out for free, uh, the green scapular. I don't have a lot of experience with it. It's supposed to promote healing. Um, there's not even, in the, in the traditional rites, there's not even uh, a blessing for the green scapular. There's all these other blessings for all these other scapulars, the, the, you know, the brown, the purple, the red, the blue. There's not one for green. So I'm not quite sure what the historicity is of the green scapular. Okay, I think we are good. May the blessings of Almighty God be upon you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, thanks very much. God bless you. Have a great night. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.